Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about responsibility charting. Delita didn't like kerfuffles. She felt her emotions deeply, but she contained them tightly. Her happiest moments and her biggest upsets appeared about the same. The act of containing her emotions exhausted Delita. She could feel kerfuffles grinding on her spirit. The major goal she wanted from the coaching was to get her team under control, stop the kerfuffles. She told me she had inherited the team early in the pandemic. Most of them had worked together for years. She didn't like that even now, years later, she still hadn't met even one of them in person yet. She longed to be with her team. I asked Delita to describe a kerfuffle. She said, It doesn't happen during the team calls, but afterwards, in the group channel, suddenly there are protests about this and accusations about that. About what, I asked? Ah, Stupid stuff. All the stuff I hate. Territory. You know, if I ran the world, I would say, look, we all have the same client. Whatever we can do to serve them, that's what we should do. Everything else is a waste of time, so stop all this nonsense. That'd be me. I asked, have they heard that from you? I think so, she said. I asked, are they angry with each other? I mean, do they actively not like each other? Oh, no, she said. I think they do like each other, or they used to. I hear about all these softball squads they used to have and family picnics. No, I think they used to be friends. I asked, and all this changed when you arrived? She laughed. Are you asking, did I trigger all the drama? I wondered the same thing, but they tell me, no, it's not about me. They tell me... It had actually been going on a while, and then the pandemic just made it worse. I asked, do you get a sense they like all this squabbling, or would they like it to stop too? She said, people are not happy. I can see it. I think they would like it to stop too. I paused and then said, can I throw an idea up here? I have no idea if it'll address your team's needs, but there's a tool that might be helpful. Can I tell you about it? Oh, yeah, please, she said. I said, it's really simple. It's a process called responsibility charting. I've used it with teams for years, and people find it really helpful. And I do mean years. Years later, they are still using it, and when new people come in, they teach it to them. Everybody on the team knows responsibility charting. She bounced a little in her seat. Well, with a buildup like that, now you have to tell me. I laughed. It was a good tease, huh? Okay, The exercise is centered on a chart. I'll send you a copy, Delita. But again, it's pretty simple. There are rows going across, columns going down. In the rows going across, you list the team's tasks. Any task that you deem as significant gets listed on a row. She held up a finger to stop me and asked, would a task be like the whole deliverable or would it be like the milestones along the way? I shrugged. Whatever you think qualifies as significant. You know, if a milestone has been causing a squabble, that would make it significant, I think. So in that case, yeah, you would list it in a row. Sounding a bit aghast, she said, and we're going to list every single solitary task the team does? I nodded. The significant ones, yeah. Quickly recognizing the value, she said, 
That thought exercise alone might be pretty interesting. What are the team's most significant tasks? Okay, am I building this list on my own and then presenting it to the team? I said, you could, but involving the team will really get them on board with the process. Okay, so engage them in identifying significant tasks. That's the rows. What's the columns going across? Time? No, I said. People. Anyone who contributes to the task has their name in a column. And now things get fun. Now we get, I took a breath and said dramatically, the code. She laughed and asked, are we filling in blanks? Exactly. The code breaks down tasks into seven responsibilities. Every responsibility has its own symbol. A code is born, she laughed. Indeed, I said. But in this code, one symbol stands above all the others. It is the big R. Which stands for what, she asked? The big R indicates who has the primary responsibility for the task. And in responsibility charting, each task can only have one big R. So you have to decide for each task who ultimately has responsibility. She gave an excited bark of a laugh. <laughs> that alone might be worth the price of admission. She went on, clearly enjoying herself. I can imagine some tasks sit there like orphans. No one wants to claim the big R. But I bet other tasks have people clamoring for the big R. I nodded and smiled. I can imagine that, absolutely. She asked, so what else is in this code? There are six more, right? Right, I agreed. Uh, but look, if you only did the big R, that would add value. Sometimes untangling the big R opens up everything below it. That would be sweet, she said. What are some of the other symbols? Besides the big R, I said. Well, there's a little R. She laughed, what, like I'm just a little responsible? Like a little pregnant? No, I smiled. Anybody who participates in the task gets a little R. So lots of people are going to have little R's. There's another symbol that indicates must approve. That can really help to clarify things. She smiled. I should say so. Might stop all this bickering. Let's just figure things out, people. I made three grouping gestures left to right across my screen saying, the seven responsibilities fall into three buckets, before, during, and after. You know, it's a really simple breakdown. Now we're going back with the tasks, right, she asked? Right. The seven responsibilities can be assigned to before, during, and after. You'll see it all when I send you the chart. But let me tell you what comes next, because this is when the magic begins. She smiled. What's that? Well, once I know the code, I only fill in boxes where the responsibility belongs to me. I don't assign anything to anyone else. I have to identify what I think is mine, and if it is not mine, I have to leave it blank. That square belongs to someone else. She said, Oh my goodness, Tom, if people really did that, kept their nose out of what's not theirs, there would be no squabbling, I promise you. Well, good, I said. I really think this chart might help. I think so, too, she said. And then she asked, I could have more than one symbol in a box, right? I smiled and shrugged. Sure, or not. Look, you can do anything you want. Make the chart work for you. There's no right way to do it. The chart is just a framework for having a conversation about how the work gets done and who has the ball when. She asked, When everyone shares their charts with each other, I sure would like us all to be together in person. Because, I asked. Because it's such an important conversation, 
I'll be interested to see if they're equipped to have this conversation. Look, either way, it would be harder to do it online. Well, I'm glad you're looking forward to the conversation, I said. I am. It's going to give me a lot of answers. You know, a lot of those boxes are going to belong to me. I mean, one thing this chart is going to show me is how much of the work I think I own, and maybe I don't have to. This could be really helpful. I could see she had a thought. I watched. She said, I hope they won't see this as a competition over boxes. I, I don't think they will. But I hope they see that the work, the task, is more important than any one box. I said, if that's the message you give, that you want clarity too, that this isn't about any one person or any one task, yeah. No, I think they'll like it a lot. That's been my experience with Teams. It was her experience too. While responsibility charting wasn't a cure-all, it didn't completely get her team under control, it did stop the kerfuffles, which pushed the team much closer to the look and sound of leadership. I have to tell you something amazing happened the other day. The other day, like 48 hours ago, I used responsibility charting with a team. And I thought, oh my God, what a fantastic fluke. I have a real-life lab in front of me just as I'm about to record the episode. While I was working with the team, I was watching it all with a third eye, thinking about all of you. I was watching, thinking to myself, okay, what are the lessons to be learned here? And what I observed were four things that I think you can get if you use the responsibility chart with your team or, or anything like the responsibility chart with your team. So here's the first observation I had. This tool gets people talking. It creates clarity. It gives people confidence. That's a lot of benefits, right? What's great is that the responsibility chart is not complicated. Really download it off the website. Do it with your team. You don't need any training. Uh, you know, you might want to listen to this conversation with Delita one more time, but really you are equipped to do this. I saw this team get better in the space of about 90 minutes. They clarified all sorts of things with each other. They had the space to have a detailed conversation about the work. The team leader was there too. And you know, when it comes to this work, he is clearly the most experienced, the person with the most knowledge, but he was silent for long periods of time. He let the team figure it out themselves. So they got stronger together. The chart helped them do that. So that's a benefit right there. The team gets stronger. Here's benefit number two that I observed with this team. The chart makes space for it, but it may or may not happen with your team. What is it? Fostering open dialogue. Fostering open dialogue is hard to do, but when a team is good at it, it is quite amazing. In my work, I get to parachute in and out of all these different teams. Not all of them are nimble when it comes to fostering open dialogue. Think for a minute about being in a meeting with your boss and your boss's boss. Would you say in that meeting, that it fosters open dialogue? I think the vast majority of people listening to this just all gave a huge collective no. Most meetings, I think, do not foster open dialogue. So don't assume that your meetings will. And listen, think for a minute about the power differential that I asked you to imagine. You know, you're sitting at a table with your boss and your boss's boss, right? It just shifts the feeling, right? 
Just as you feel about that situation, your direct reports probably feel that way about you. You have power over their lives and their livelihoods. It's reasonable that they may not feel completely comfortable having truly open dialogue. The responsibility chart or a tool like that can help. You know, the code and the boxes serve as a kind of scaffold for people to speak more openly. I just want to say, I have always been fascinated with the ways that we influence each other as human beings. You know, it was certainly core to my work as an actor, and I've gotten to witness completely unfiltered behavior in my role as coach and facilitator, so I get to see how human beings influence each other. The other day, watching this team, watching this team leader, there was a lot to witness. This guy used to be a bit of a bully, but he has really, really changed his style. He now goes, like I said, for long periods without saying anything. And I noticed, and I thought to myself, you know, that is one way to foster open dialogue. Shut the hell up. And when he did speak, he did two things that I also thought fostered open dialogue. First, he talked about himself and his relationship to the work. He didn't lecture. He didn't talk about them. He didn't dispense wisdom. He talked about himself. That was the first thing. The second thing, he talked about himself as a learner. He didn't you know, pitch himself in the story as like the hero coming to rescue the situation or the expert who can predict the future. He talked about himself at a question that he would ask himself about the work. And he talked about the ideas that he would come up with in answer to the question. And what I noticed was other people followed pretty quickly with similar stories about their own questions about the work. The session itself took on a sense of inquiry and discovery, and people were not defending their position, which is what often happens. When you do not have to defend your position, you're more likely to find open dialogue. If you're curious about fostering open dialogue, how we influence each other consciously and unconsciously, look, I just want to say it is the core of the look and sound of leadership. I think you're in the right place. I also want to point you to an episode from 2011 from a long time ago called Facilitating Open Dialogue. There are good, solid ideas in there. Check it out. Facilitating Open Dialogue. The link is in the show notes. Okay, that was all number two. Here comes number three. Number three accountability. The chart gets people talking about all the different ways the work gets touched, right? There's before, during, and after. We're going to discuss sequence. We're going to discuss delivery, connections, ripples. If we're going to create a sequence to help us deliver a consistently excellent product, we have to talk about accountability, right? We are going to make agreements. I agree to hand this thing off to you by next Thursday, and you agree you'll get it back to me by the next Wednesday, right? Agreements are accountability. Now, I have a question for you as a leader. What's your style when an agreement gets broken? Because agreements get broken, right? What is your style? How, how fast do you engage with it? What's the meta message that you convey? What values are you going to lead with? I think it's a leadership moment. This whole idea about agreements and holding people accountable 
I talk about it a lot with the leaders that I coach, right? And often their frame of reference for accountability is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. I have been amazed over the years how universal that book has become. A lot of people know that book, and they know that avoidance of accountability, avoidance of accountability is one of the five dysfunctions in that book. I love that that book is everywhere. I think it is really helpful. And the concrete tools are simple to use with your team. You could use that book to do the kind of work that I'm talking about in this episode. And by the way, maybe you know this, Lencioni partnered up with Wiley. They own a version of DISC that's used all over the world. Well, Lencioni partnered with Wiley and created an assessment based on the book. And the assessment is called The Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team. You see how they turned it to a positive? The book is about dysfunctions, but the assessment is about cohesion. The assessment's good. I've used it a bunch. It's very rich. It prompts a lot of dialogue, and one set of behaviors focuses on accountability. All of that is benefit number three, accountability. All right, we're at number four. Number four is complex. I think it is going to land on each person a little differently. We will see when I share it with you, which will be right after this month's gratitude. Gratitude this month to Chris DeFerio. Chris hosts the Keys to the Shop podcast. I've been on his show before. I've always loved talking to Chris because he talks about running great coffee shops. He talks and thinks at a such a different level than what I'm used to. I find it so exciting. He and I talked about boundaries in the most recent episode. The link is in the show notes. Chris, thanks a million. Gratitude to Martin Jagers in Australia, who hosts the Next Gen Leadership Podcast. He had me on as a guest. We talked about communication. We talked about leadership. A very easy, flowing conversation. I loved it. Next Gen Leadership. The link is in the show notes. Martin, thank you. By the way, uh, you may or may not know this, that I have been honored over the years to be on many people's shows, and they are all available on the website under Conversations. There are lots of great conversations there, including a dozen or more with Dave Stahoviak on Coaching for Leaders. Dave, always grateful for you. Gratitude to all of you who gave me so much support about the rebroadcasts. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for asking about my month in Bali with my daughter. It was amazing on many levels. It really, truly changed me. I am grateful to Julia and Ricky for welcoming me so fully. Thank you so much. And I'm grateful as ever. To you who reach out to me over the month to talk about coaching, you all have amazing stories. I am grateful to hear them. Thank you. And a special, special, special thank you to people who leave reviews on their platforms this month from Thailand, Thai French, from Saudi Arabia, Om111111, and here in the U.S., A. McGuire. Thank you all. Thank you for what you write. It is an honor. The fourth and final thing I observed. I observed the power of being together. These people are back in the office together all day long. They hear each other's phone calls. They hear each other talk to themselves while they're working. They've become very close. The other day, as a group, sitting around with their boss, they talked in a style and a rhythm that simply would have been impossible to do online. The energy generated by people being together was uplifting. And it helped us stay focused for an entire afternoon. 
I know that everyone is having to make tough decisions right now about what is return to work going to look like. I have been talking with teams about it for months. What is return to work going to look like? I just want to acknowledge that when people come together and share a space, there is a positive energy that does not occur online. Look, right before I went to Bali, I facilitated a team event for about 70 people. They came together from all over the world. It was the first time they'd seen each other for two and a half years. They were together for three days. These people were really glad to see each other, and the energy was like a fire hose. They had such a great time because they were together. And in the episode, Delita said she wanted people to be together when they shared their chart. I know not everyone will get to be together. But I wonder, first off, just let me ask, do you agree? Do you agree that putting people together in the same space generally creates positive energy? If you agree, and if you aren't going to be back together, how can you compensate for that? I would like us to be wrestling with that question. And here's an idea that I had. Maybe it's going to work. Maybe it's not. If people are not going to return to the office, can you do two things? First, can you instigate a conversation to get people talking about the pros and cons of their situation? What do they think about losing all those hallway moments? What do they think about losing all those kitchen moments, all those spontaneous conversations that happen During the day, during meetings, in the hallways, if you could get people talking about it, I think they might be more willing to do step two. And step two would be to ask people to intentionally spend time with each other virtually. Look, this is not going to happen by accident, right? It's really easy to hide out when you're remote. But what if part of your job was to have virtual coffee with people? What if it was part of your day, you know, like your commute used to be part of your day? There doesn't need to be an agenda in these conversations. It doesn't have to be a work meeting. It could be. I mean, but who knows? Maybe we talk about our families. Maybe we talk about the weekend. Whatever we talk about, we made the effort to be together, to stay connected. I think there is benefit to staying connected. If you want to keep drilling down on this topic first, Go get the responsibility chart. It's in the Essential Tools bin on the Essential Communications website. It's EssentialCom.com, EssentialCom with two M's.com. There's also a library of all the podcasts. This episode happens to be in three of those categories in the library, leadership, leading teams, and management skills, lots of ways that you can look through the library. If you want to dive into particular episodes that are going to relate to this one, Besides facilitating open dialogue that I already mentioned, five others you might listen to are How Teams Fight, Inviting Dialogue, Leading Offsites, Taming Meetings, and The Intentional Leader. Okay, that's it from me. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.